0: Welcome to Spooky South Coast Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it doesn't AM 1420,
1: WSF presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg
2: and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. Thanks, Red Sox, for getting over in time for us to go on at our regularly scheduled start time. They seem to be doing that quite a bit this season, Matt Costa. You know, we seem to be able to jump on right at 10 o'clock. It's kind of nice. It is. I like it. I like being able to do full shows in the summertime because we always have big, action-packed shows for our listening audience, and it's no different tonight. We have a huge, big show for you. I mean, all week long, everybody's been talking about Bigfoot. We're going to talk about Bigfoot. Uh, Stan Gordon is going to join us to talk about Bigfoot as well. And then later on, we're also going to talk to Jerry Pippin. Fans of Paranormal Radio, of course, listen to the Jerry Pippin Show online at jerrypippin.com. And he's going to join us to talk about one of his passions, that's Elvis Presley, and some of the paranormal connections between Elvis and just different psychic events, you know, different foretelling of events, whether or not his ghost is haunting Graceland.
1: Or he's riding with aliens and just some other, you know, creepy.
2: I think it's also possible, since we're talking about Bigfoot and Elvis tonight, that maybe they're actually hanging out somewhere together. That has been the... uh, the rumor for many years but now in all seriousness we will talk about bigfoot especially the news that was coming out this week and a little bit later on in the second hour we're going to have a really really big announcement i mean matt Moniz, this is big what we're going to be pulling off here next saturday night well not you because you're going to be up in new hampshire you're going to be pulling it off up there right we're going to pull off things on our end we're talking five hours of some of the best paranormal radio you can find on a saturday night the best. The best paranormal radio that you can find on a Saturday night. Why listen to anything else? The best that you can find. And uh, so we'll tell you about that later on. But, I mean, basically, just clear your calendar. Clear your calendar from 7 p.m. till midnight next Saturday night. You want to stay right by WBSM or online at WBSM.com or SpookySouthCoast.com for this big event we got coming up. But more on that later. That's what we call a tease in the radio business. Yeah. Well, speaking of teases, Matt Moniz, I'm going to call in your uh, cryptozoolog- cryptozoological expertise on this one. Speaking of teases, did we get a big one this week with the announcement that two men in Georgia had actually captured a Bigfoot corpse? Well, I guess you don't capture a corpse, but they discovered a Bigfoot corpse?
1: Yes. I I think that there is something fishy going on with this. Things keep changing. Um, yeah. Stories keep getting moved around, and, uh, you know, lies are being exposed.
2: But for those who haven't been following the story, and really it's been part of mainstream media, so I I think everybody might have heard by now, but uh, two men named Matthew Witten and Rick Dyer uh, apparently discovered a Bigfoot while hiking in northern Georgia in June, now here's where you're talking about where these lies and these you know flip-flop stories come about. You know, in one in one regard, they're supposedly Bigfoot researchers. But when they get in front of the cameras in the media yesterday uh, to have this big press conference, now they're trying to sell the story that they were just two guys hanging out in the woods going hiking, and then they happened to find this. You know, here they are. Whoops, we stumbled on Bigfoot. But then when you go to their website, Bigfoottrackers.com, which is conveniently no longer up and running, you know they call themselves the best Bigfoot hunters in the world. And, of course, at the center of all this is one Tom Biscardi. Apparently, when these two gentlemen, Matthew Witten and Rick Dyer, when they discovered this body, they contacted Tom Biscardi, who, if you're not familiar with his name, uh, he runs a website, searchingforbigfoot.com, which is a whole business entity unto himself. He's a full-time Bigfoot hunter. And uh, there was some controversy a few years ago when he claimed to have captured a Bigfoot, and he was selling you know, pay-per-view time on his website to see these creatures, and supposedly was going to unveil, and it was all a hoax. Which he claims was bad information given to him by a source. I'm pretty sure that if you somebody tells you you have a Bigfoot, you're going to say I got to see it before I tell everybody. That, I mean, as a as a researcher yourself, isn't that what you want? You want to actually see the proof, the evidence before you tell right. people about it?
1: Yeah, until you are actually able to you know v- verify it and validate it. Yeah.
2: Now let me let me put a caveat on this. I mean, they could they could very well have a Bigfoot body, and we could you know be wrong, but all signs point to no, as the Magic 8-Ball would tell us. It, it doesn't really seem like it's legit. And we gave, I, I contacted Tom Piscardi, I contacted Matthew Witten and Rick Dyer. I gave them the opportunity to come on this show and tell us their side of the story. They have not responded, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they've obviously been very busy, that maybe we can get them on in the future. But, I mean, as you know, we've we've taken to these airwaves before and tackled some of these controversies and, and said what we believe about it and then later had the people on and say, okay, well, you know, we, maybe we can see their side of things. Yeah. And well, we're willing to give these three gentlemen that opportunity as well.
1: Well, I talked to Tom Biscardi himself.
2: Yeah, um, you, you were able to speak with him this week before uh, he got so busy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's... Basically, intimated to me that he believes that this thing is real, and uh, of course, he wanted me to forward all my information and in, you know what equipment I have access to and stuff because he basically said you know send this stuff to me and we'll see about putting you on the team to investigate this thing further. Now i
2: but now I'm hearing they're bringing in some Russian scientists. Well,
1: that's uh, I mean everything. That's why I'm like I haven't sent anything to him yet. It's like well you you got my number, you got my you know email and stuff like that.
2: I, I think I'm curious,
1: but I don't. I don't want to waste my money, my time, and dragging equipment out there for you know for something that could uh, be no. as simple as
2: a bigfoot costume stuffed into an ice free, ice chest, right? Which is what all signs seem to be pointing to. The gentleman who actually made the bigfoot mask, which is being compared to this body, uh, looked right at it and said, "Yep, that's mine." They stuck teeth in it. They dumped some entrails on it to make it look like it was you know roadkill, essentially.
1: Well, the entrails are what I find interesting, especially when it corresponds with what the DNA results came out today. Well,
2: tell everybody what they found.
1: Okay, what they found was uh, one source, that, and this comes from the press release themselves, is human DNA. Mm-hmm. Okay, that could just be poor sampling. I don't know who sampled it and what have you. So you, you, you don't know the patents of how the material was handled, what kind of chain of custody. Now, the other part where they sampled the intestines comes back as, for all intents and purposes and stuff like that, their best guess is an opossum, okay?
2: Which their defense is.
1: Their defense is that uh, it it was something that this thing ate. Well, their first claims of being it has no canid teeth, that it's a vegetarian. What's a vegetarian doing eating opossum? (laughs) Number two, the size of the intestines that you see on Top of the creature. Now, if this is a creature that large and it is herbivorous, it wouldn't have those that small of intestines. Most uh, animals that are ruminants, that basically animals that eat plant material, are have very large intestines, um, especially something of that size.
2: Well, yeah, just in general, in terms of the you know scale to the body, it would be larger. Yeah, you would assume for something that's seven and a half feet tall.
1: Well, not only that, animals that are generally vegetation. Vegetation eaters are, uh, you know, pretty much designed to have large intestines to move all of that plant matter.
2: Yeah, because it's not—it's not like meat, which goes right through you. Now, there was a third DNA sample discovered. There was a, a an unknown, uh, inconclusive is, is the way that they put it piece of DNA. Which, you know, I find it kind of funny that they're doing DNA testing on a, on a Bigfoot to determine if it's a Bigfoot. What are you going to compare it against? What's your comparison? Well, sample? you
1: you you. you but there's certain tests. I uh, you know, um 18S is one of the chromosomes that they'll that they'll check and stuff like that and they'll look to see if it's uh, follows the basic Euclid uh DNA sequence which has certain specific markers in it that don't move and, and all the way from us and primates all the way down to yeast.
2: I mean I guess part of the reason why you would DNA test it is to eliminate what it might be. I mean when you put the DNA up and it doesn't match, say you know, a gorilla's DNA, then you know that it's not a gorilla that you're dealing with.
1: Right. Uh, there are certain markers. I mean, we have X number of chromosomes, and uh, so do all other animals. We have. We already know what those chromosomes are. Now, what we're doing is looking to match how many of them match up to other hominids. Hominids are animals like apes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the greater apes and the lesser apes and chimpanzees and orangs.
2: One of the interesting things that I've heard from people uh, going on Cryptomundo, which you can't actually go on right now because it's been down for two days, uh, Lauren Coleman's uh, blog site there where he's been weighing in has actually been knocked off the Internet because so many people have been trying to access it. But one of the theories out there that people have been saying is that it's a skunk ape, that it's one of these skunk apes that are spotted throughout Georgia and Florida. But if correct me if I'm wrong, isn't a skunk ape also a cryptid? They haven't really been formally discovered? Correct. So if they found a skunk, I mean, people are like, oh, that's just a skunk ape. Well, to me, that's just as important to find as if it's Bigfoot.
1: It's his cousin, southern cousin.
2: I mean, what's the the difference? You still found something that nobody's found, you know? So I don't know. But I'm tending to lead toward the Halloween costume and a nice dress myself.
1: Well, that's interesting. They say it's something that nobody's found. The Seminole Indians and a lot of Native Americans have plenty of reports of encounters and remains of these things that they have had in the past. It's known to the native population. It's just the Western civilization has a little bit of a problem with it.
2: Well, well, let's get back to to these actual gentlemen that supposedly discovered this body, Matthew Witten and Rick Dyer. Now, uh, let me just scan some of this this information here. Uh, Let's see. Dyer is... uh, uh, Give me a second here. Witten is a Clayton County police officer, and Rick Dyer is a former corrections officer. But uh, Witten is actually on administrative leave. I believe he's injured. So, I mean, these are the guys that just had some time, I guess, and decided they were going to go out into the woods, according to the story that they're telling us now. But they've been putting videos online. They've got their BigfootTrackers.com website. And they put a video up in which, you know, they were, they were talking about this body – because, you know, when you find a Bigfoot body, the way that you want to announce it to the world is to go on somebody's Internet-only talk show and and say it that way. You don't want to call, you know, Coast to Coast AM or Spooky South Coast or CNN or VAP. Oh, you know, God
1: forbid you actually call something like a university that yeah. has an you know, anthropology department,
2: <laughs> zoology department. But anyway, so they, they, you know, this this is how they make the announcement, but... Uh, they they put the information up on their website, and they started get a, getting attacked by people who are, you know, Bigfoot enthusiasts online. And uh, I'm sure, you know, some of the attacks went a little over the top. People get very protective of Bigfoot when they think that the research isn't 100% on the level, especially when you have people like Biscardi who have kind of, you know, dug themselves into a hole every once in a while with some of these claims. So they put this video up online where they talk to an expert, an authority, a – let me think of the actual term that they used not a taxidermist, but a tax – was tax something? Taxonomist?
1: Taxonomist is – It's the same thing as a taxidermist? Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, I don't really know that much about stuff and dead things. I usually just take the meat out of them and eat them. But anyway, so – this Dr. Paul Van Buren, they called him. You know, and they have this little interview with him where he describes what it is that he saw and that he thinks, you know, that they really discovered Bigfoot. Excellent. Wow. We got an authority. Dr. Paul Van Buren saying that, you know, this is legit, except for the fact that Dr. Paul Van Buren isn't legit. It was one of the guy's brothers. And when they get called out on this, When these people who are online watching these guys like watchdogs, and thank God that they are there, and I know they might have made these two guys' lives hell, calling their houses, calling their jobs, bothering their mothers. That's taking it a bit too far. But thank God there are people that are watching over hacks and making sure that they don't, you know, muddy up the field. So they, they come up with this and they say, hey, this is the guy's brother, you know. And what is their response? They put up a video that say, yeah, well, we did that just to mess with you. Yeah, you know, we decided to give you guys something to do over the weekend.
1: So that creates nothing but, you know. Doubt. Doubt, yeah.
2: You're you're an idiot. You're trying to sell people the idea that you found a Bigfoot. And what do you do? You perpetuate a hoax related to that. Even if the whole thing isn't a hoax, you've already created that hoax. And, and you've basically made yourself look like a fool. So now, I don't believe anything that you've said. Uh, and I won't. You can call up, and anything short of Matt Moniz going down there, doing the testing, and coming back to me and saying, yep, it's legit, here's all the paperwork. I'm not buying it. Not buying it, Senator. Or (laughs)
1: or unless I see somebody else that I know and trust doing
2: some testing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I I say Matt Moniz, but I'm talking about the respected scientific community in general. I just use you as a figurehead to represent all of science.
1: (laughs) Boy, you have a low...
2: (laughs) I just go for whatever's in the room. Yeah. All right. But, no, absolutely. I mean, if this is the real deal, you know, Lauren Coleman's got to be there. Uh, there's so many Bigfoot researchers who have spent their entire lives waiting for this. People who say, like Lauren has been saying, I don't care who finds it as long as somebody finds it. You, you need to let these people in on it. You need to let them be part of it. They're not going to steal your credit. They're not going to steal your thunder. And you know what? We're not going to pay $49.95 to see Bigfoot the pay-per-view either. I don't pay to see Bigfoot the monster truck. I only go when they give tickets away on the radio.
1: Hmm.
2: All right, so did I rail enough against these these Bigfoot hoaxers, in my opinion?
1: I think you've made your point. Do you yeah. think they're
2: still going to come on the show? or?
1: Hey, you never know.
2: Well, I think they have a responsibility to. But now that we've talked about the Bigfoot hoaxers, we're going to talk to an actual real Bigfoot researcher. Somebody who's actually spent their time researching things on the level and and somebody who we respect for his work uh, in a variety of different fields, especially the Kecksburg UFO case. We've had him on here in the past talking about that. But we'll be joined in just a bit by Stan Gordon. So why don't we take a break? We'll get Stan on the phone. We'll talk to him about the pursuit of Bigfoot and what it would mean to the world if a Bigfoot was actually found and if this story was legit, how would things change? So we'll take a break. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. There were some scientists trying to figure out the Sasquatch riddle Then they figured out it was a missing link
1: Into the night and beyond Here's more of Spooky South Coast Scientists have proven that the Sasquatch is real Take a look at the plaster cast of his foot, now you know he's real Listen real close to the audio tape, now you know he's real couldn't be a man in gorilla suit No way, no, you
2: know,
3: you know he's real Real, 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 really, real, real
2: And if Tenacious D says it, you know it to be true All right. Well, actually, joining us on the line is somebody who will know a little bit more about Bigfoot than Tenacious D, I would think, and that's Stan Gordon. He is. We've we've talked to Stan in the past about the Kexburg UFO case, but Stan, I know that you've been uh, researching Bigfoot as well for a number of years.
4: Yeah, you uh, blanked out there. I think you said talking about Bigfoot sightings in past years. Yes. Yes, I've been uh, looking into a Bigfoot reports since the late actually late nineteen sixties, and. Uh, Ever since that time, I've investigated hundreds of uh, reported Bigfoot sightings here in Pennsylvania.
2: And now, when you've investigated these these reports, how do they come into you? I'm, I'm guessing not by somebody calling into an Internet radio show and saying, hey, we found a Bigfoot. <laughs>
4: no, actually, um, my research and my interest in these subjects, actually, I should say, started back when I was 10 years old, back in 1959. And uh, that was just coincidentally the fact that, my birthday happens to be on Halloween Eve, and on my 10th birthday, my parents gave me a new radio. And I was sitting around the AM dial that night, and they were talking about unusual happenings because of the Halloween season. And uh, I became very interested. I was very curious when I was young, and I began to read everything they had on the subject the local library and began to cut newspaper articles out and make scrapbooks. And uh, my interest continued to research uh, Bigfoot and UFOs and ghosts and different phenomena. And uh, when I was 16, the incident near Kecksburg, PA, happened where the object of still unknown origin fell in, uh, near the, the uh, farming community of Kecksburg, PA, in Westmoreland County. And, of course, what made that story so fascinating was the fact that the military was observed by multiple witnesses, including reporters that came to the area that night to search for whatever was that fell. And, of course, officially they claimed the next day that nothing was found, mm-hmm. even though they are quite certain because people actually saw the object embedded on the ground that they did take something out but um after that incident late 1960s that was 1965 I began to go out into the field to investigate various phenomena firsthand and um I set up my my own hotline for the public in 1969 where people could report sightings to me well when I established that hotline uh it became overwhelming the calls were coming into my home 24 hours a day people were calling and reporting everything all kind of from, from ghosts uh strange footprints, the UFOs, the strange creatures, and I soon realized this was much more than I could handle on my own. Even though my background was electronics, uh, I realized I needed people from the scientific community, research people, engineers, uh, technicians to go out and evaluate these reports. So it was my uh, position to try to set up a group of volunteer research people who could respond to these cases, hopefully 24 hours a day, to quickly arrive on the scene if we had a report. And um, so, in the 1970s, I founded the three, first of three volunteer research groups. That was the Westmoreland County UFO Study Group, and I set up a two-way radio system so we could radio dispatch investigators to the scene of these events. I had my hotline set up, and I began at a very early age to begin to meet with local law enforcement people, the news media, begin to educate them on the fact that I felt these reports were serious and hopefully that if they got any reports like this, they would consider letting me know about it so we could follow up and investigate. Well, in the months to follow, it began to happen, and we were just overloaded with reports, and um, I've had a hotline It basically since 1969, which I still have one active here in Pennsylvania today. Uh, over the years, I established very good uh, relationship with news media and law enforcement across the state, and even today, I still receive our, our, rec- our reports uh, forwarded from police departments and news agencies, and So through my website, through my hotline, I continue to receive reports.
2: So now when you receive a report of, say, a Bigfoot sighting, uh, by the time you do arrive on the scene, though, it's obviously been a little bit of time after the the sighting has happened, so the creature is probably long gone. But what what kind of leftover evidence have you found that these creatures have been out there?
4: Okay, well, first of all, um, since 1993, I no longer have my research group. So I've been doing this out of my pocket pretty much all my life. And uh, work full time, have a family, and uh, so I've been working basically as an independent researcher since 1993. But when I had my research groups in 1970 through the 80s and to the 90s, uh, many many years, we did have it set up. We had a volunteer groups of research people, and in many cases, we got to the scene of an incident sometimes within minutes to hours after wow. these events occurred, especially during. That famous outbreak of Bigfoot sightings that happened here in Pennsylvania in 1973 to 1974, that went on for weeks and weeks. It was the biggest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever recorded. It made lots of local news and even national news back at that time. And in many cases, we were on the scene within a short time. And that's what was so intriguing because you could see the human reactions, how frightened people were, and most convincing was to be able to see the animal responses. And that something could not have been fabricated. People can be fooled, but animals can't. And in so many cases, especially with large dogs, vicious dogs, when these things uh, were close to the dog, the dogs, if they were near one of the shelters, they would back into the shelters. They would be whimpering, crying, not barking, not responding like they normally do, very fearful, sometimes shaking, sometimes wouldn't even eat properly for a couple days later. Uh, other animals, we saw horses and cattle moving up to other areas where they generally wouldn't go. Uh, cats inside of the homes, hiding under beds, when these things were around. Different things people reporting that they saw that was not common. But we, in many cases, saw the animal reactions. Even police investigators who responded to some of these cases as well also verified, amazingly, seeing how the animals were reacting, and that was quite intriguing. But also, we had cases of very good detailed footprints, sometimes trails of footprints, uh, sometimes other indications of strength. Where we had cases where these things moved through an area and. In one particular case, where one had been seen and uh, chased by a group of people, uh, this thing apparently it was just pulling up uh, small trees as it moved in, just uprooting trees in its path, and uh, that was quite an interesting thing back in '73. So I mean, a lot of we gathered a lot of data, we gathered a lot of information over the years. We saw various patterns to the phenomena, and uh, a lot of the sightings we had were in daylight. And, in fact, I mean, even one sighting we had in November of last year out in Derry Township, which is continuously a hotbed of, of sighting reports along the Chestnut Ridge. Um, that Chestnut Ridge stretches from Preston County, West Virginia, through Westmore Fayette, and Fayetteville, Indiana County, and in, in southwest Pennsylvania. And it's a, it's a continuous area for all kind of reported phenomena, from UFO sightings and uh, Black Panther reports, Mountain Lions, all type of unusual phenomena. And particularly Bigfoot activity has been very active there for many, many years. And we had a sighting there in November, I believe, last year, uh, late afternoon, still daylight, where a, where a fellow was outside doing a chore, happened to turn around, and here's this creature standing right on the edge of the woods, about 45 feet away. And it's approximately at least six and a half, seven feet tall, kind of a, if I recall, kind of a grayish, blackish color, long arms, turned around, took several big steps, was out of sight. But there were some very interesting uh, odd footprints found in that swampy area uh, soon after. So it's uh, these things are still going on out here in Pennsylvania.
2: And it seems like, you know, Bigfoot is something that's on people's minds a lot lately, even before, you know, this, this sighting or this supposed uh, body capture. It seems like, you know, there's been more reports of sightings, more accepted claims of sightings. I mean, even now, you know, we've got Bigfoot hawking products on TV, hawking, uh, you know, beef jerky and everything. It just seems like people are more willing to come forward with these reports as where before they'd say, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think I saw this out in the woods.
4: Yeah, and I hear that all the time. But I can tell you, you know, I've dealt with thousands of UFO cases, hundreds of Bigfoot cases in Pennsylvania over the years, and one of the things I've done from the early days is was out there publicly trying to educate the public on these subjects. And I can tell you, in this area, there's this to be quite a bit of credibility. I mean, the people around here are, are much more open-minded. They're willing to listen to what we have. They look at the information we've collected. And uh, we've tried to educate the public of the fact that to keep an open mind, you know, we need to do more scientific research, but the evidence indicates there's something out there. And um, But I can tell you, with the UFO phenomena, you're seeing more and more people more willing to talk about it compared to the ridicule we had back in the, oh, in the early days in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And Bigfoot phenomenon is getting more attention on TV as well. It's getting, as with UFOs, they're taking a more serious look in, in general with some of the media. And, uh, but people still are quite reluctant to report seeing a you know, seven, eight-foot-tall hairy creature out in the woods, but we still we get those reports. And, uh, but people today are much more open-minded and more willing to believe, but people still are very uh, careful in uh, wanting to publicly talk about what they see.
2: Is there a pattern to this? Is, is, does it seem like when the paranormal kind of becomes uh, a mainstream topic, is there a pattern of, you know, first you start to hear about ghost reports, then you start to hear about UFO reports, and now you get into some of the cryptid reports? Does it seem like this is the way that it cycles through? Because to me, I mean, I wasn't alive then, I'm, I'm only 30, but it seems like, you know, you had ghost research kind of get big in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and we had all the UFO sightings from the 40s into the 70s and 80s, the, you know, the abduction phenomena. And then you also started to get more and more cryptid reports then, too. Does it seem like it's kind of like a one, two, three type of pattern well, to it?
4: you know, we've, we've always heard these reports. I mean, I'm interested in ghosts and those type of things, but that's not my main area of, of investigation. I generally turn those over to people who are involved in that type of thing. But I've heard those stories for years. But, you know, personally, after evaluating a lot of these reports, whether UFOs or Bigfoot, and, of course, when you investigate these reports, whether UFOs, Bigfoot, other phenomena, when you properly investigate them, quite a lot of the reports are determined to be either natural or man-made in origin. There's a lot of misidentifications. I mean, people have seen big, shaggy dogs and bear and misidentified things as Bigfoot. But we have many, many very well-documented cases, including some very good footprints, the casting of footprints we've made in Pennsylvania, which I'm firmly convinced that these people are not all crazy. They're seeing something. And there's very reputable witnesses, just like with UFOs report seeing, these unusual animals. And as we've talked before, and I believe on the program, uh, when I first began this investigation and, you know, a lot of the research people with me over the years, we went in this very open-mindedly gathering information, and I'm firmly convinced that there are some things out there, especially with a Bigfoot phenomenon, that we cannot explain. There's something out there going on. But... The more I got into it and the more interesting cases we began to see came to uh, our attention the, bego- the more we began to wonder just exactly what we're dealing with and I of course have no definitive answers on this but uh, you know I published some things on this back in the, uh, 1974 such as in the uh, muf conference proceedings and I think we talked before about this big outbreak of Bigfoot sightings in Pennsylvania here in 73 and 74 and again as we went into this initially all information suggests that we are dealing with some type of unknown primate, some type of unknown zoological animal, mm-hmm. and I still keep an open mind to that possibility as well. But then, as time, as weeks and weeks went on, and many, many reports were coming in from the public, not coming in from you know Bigfoot enthusiasts. A lot of these reports are coming first to the police departments and being referred for us to follow up and investigate, and. Uh, we began to have some very interesting cases, which we, we had to scratch our heads because we just didn't understand what was going on either. But you had some of those very few well-documented cases where, for example, Bigfoot and the UFO were seen together at the same time in place. and place. Are... And and what, if any, direct connection exists between the two phenomena, we just don't know. But, you know, I, I've talked to this to many people in the Bigfoot field, and, of course, we still have that, that scenario where, A lot of the Bigfoot people who are firmly convinced these are zoological animals, they don't want to hear about the UFOs showing up, and a lot of the UFO researchers don't want to hear about the Bigfoot creatures showing up. And uh, so that's been kind of a problem over the years, because I've had many researchers over the years tell me they have had such reports, but they're afraid to talk about them or publish them because they're afraid of being um, looked down by their peers. My position is, as an investigator, I'm looking to all aspects of all these reports I don't have the answers, but to find the answers, we need to look at all aspects of these reports and investigations. And there's more to it than meets the eye. Well, and uh, sorry. in fact, my book that I told you about, it, I think last year, I'm still working, it, right? it's getting towards uh, the final uh, areas now of finishing the book. Hopefully it will be outside sometime early next year, which gets very deep into these cases we looked at in 73 and 74, and some of the more mysterious aspects to it. And whether we like it or not, now, as you're interviewing people and they're telling you about their observations and their experiences, a lot of them reluctantly began to tell us about some of the other very unusual so-called paranormal events that some of these people experienced as well. So they're, they're, this is much more involved than we really know about. And like I said, I don't have the answers. Just like with UFOs, when you when you eliminate all of the things you've been able to identify, there's that percentage of cases you cannot. And we have hundreds of cases of, of really detailed UFO observations here in Pennsylvania, many daylight, many very close range. some with physical evidence, some reported physiological effects, and they were very well-documented cases, and of course, there's many theories of what these things are, and I believe there's not one easy explanation for the unexplained category of UFOs, and as with Bigfoot, again, I keep an open mind as to what they might be, and there, maybe there's more than one type of Bigfoot. I mean, we have the three-toed tracks in Pennsylvania and other, and other states, I should say, and even other countries, and the typical five-toed tracks. And then you get these occasional reports of four-toed and even sometimes six-toed tracks. But the three-toed and the five-toed are very, are very common. And uh, I know even back in the 70s, for example, out in the Pacific Northwest, they were finding three-toed tracks, but you didn't hear about it very often. It was mainly five-toed. Here in Pennsylvania, we have both five-toed and three-toed tracks showing up. Uh, There's a lot more to these mysteries than we have the answers for.
2: We are talking with researcher Stan Gordon. If you'd like to call in and discuss Bigfoot or or anything else uh, that's on the table, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, you know, you were speaking about the the UFO and Bigfoot connection, and here in Massachusetts where we have the the Bridgewater Triangle, our own little paranormal vortex area, you know, the same thing happens here. There's reports of UFOs and Bigfoot, you know, kind of hand in hand. Uh, which has led some people to believe the idea that you know the reason why we don't see these things so much is because they're extraterrestrial or they're interdimensional. And I think that as many Bigfoot researchers will tell you, you know, there's definitely something earthbound about them. I, I think you're kind of stretching things when you say that you know they're they're extraterrestrial beings or interdimensional beings. But maybe these UFOs, if they're watching us, they have a reason to be watching Bigfoot as well.
4: And that's right. There's a lot of possibilities here. And, uh, like I said, some of the cases we had, and I think one of the most remarkable ones, and I may have mentioned this before, was an incident happened February 6th of 1974, 1974, up near Ohio Pile, uh, in Fayette County, Pennsylvania. And, uh, people who were living at that time will remember, well, back then we had a big national trucker strike, and there was gas rationing at the time. So we couldn't get up to the incident scene until early the next morning because it was a distance away. We couldn't get gas to get for that evening. Mm-hmm. But um, the initial report came into the state police barracks up in that area, and um, what we found out was that a, a woman who had lived in that area for all her life, knew the mountains very well, was way on top of the mountain, very in deep into the woods, um, she had heard some commotion outside of her little cabin. Uh, there was a garbage dump out there, some tin cans, whatever, heard noise, tin cans moving around. And there had been some wild dogs in the area. So she thought the dogs were back. So she grabbed her shotgun. And she was just going to shoot it over the head to scare them away. So she opens up her front door. And amazingly, she was quite shocked that instead of the dogs there, standing only a few feet away, and I'll remember exactly what she said to me. She never said a Bigfoot. She said, there's a great big hairy ape with its arms straight up over its head like it was going to lunge on her, at her. And uh, her first thought was to shoot at it. So she fired right into the thing with her shotgun. And she said there was this bright flash of light, like somebody took a picture, and the creature vanished right in front of her. It wasn't there. Now, her family lived uh, about 100 feet away. They heard the gunshot, so they called to find out what happened. She tried to explain it to them. So the son-in-law began to approach towards the area, had a pistol with him, And as he got very close, he said he saw shadows of what appeared to be five or six hairy people with very bright, like glowing red eyes, like coals of fire, surrounding him. He started shooting randomly at them. Ran into the cab, and they looked outside, and they could see right above the trees this very large, luminous object, like a big Christmas tree ornament, hovering at the same time. So anyhow, they were all pretty shook up. They called the state police. So not only did the state police arrive, but also because of the... The, um, there was problems with shootings with that national strike at the time and there was a lot of things going so the, the National Guard was also patrolling with the state police so both the National Guard and the state police responded to that scene and it took us some time to get up there by the time they arrived, creatures gone of course, objects gone but what was so amazing to the investigators was again number of dogs, different types of Eskimos specifically in German Shepherd in their cages other animals around there all uh, together, like they generally uh, get together in, in groups. But what amazed I remember one trooper told me, say he said, was just amazed. He went inside and opened up a cage and tried to pull one of these dogs out. The dogs wouldn't bark. They wouldn't move. The dog should ripped his arm off. He tried to pull the dog out, and the dog didn't even move. He could, they couldn't believe how the animals reacted. They were convinced something very odd happened that night up there. We got up there the next morning, and with a animal investigator... And we searched the area, interviewed everybody, and we found right in line where she shot at this. We found the BBs in the trees out in the woods, right in line where she shot at this thing. And uh, it's a very interesting story. So, if that case is true, and I have no doubt from what I could tell that these people are all telling the truth, makes you wonder what exactly we're dealing with. And maybe that's the reason why, so far, you know, we we haven't got any con- uh, confirmed bodies.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I also for years thought, you know, uh, that it can't be real if we've never actually found one. Somebody would have found a dead one by now, but then it was Matt Moniz that pointed out to me, you know, you you don't walk through the woods and find dead deer, you don't walk through the woods and find a a dead bear just lying there, so, I mean, that kind of changed my mind a bit, that's just my own misinformation, I think, and I think a lot of the general public doesn't understand, you know, how the forest works, and and how easy it would be for these creatures to live uh, amongst the forest and go undetected.
4: Oh, yes, and like I said, there's many theories, a lot of ideas, but it may indeed be that we may be dealing with more than one type of creature, too. We just don't know.
2: Now, what would happen, and I have my serious doubts about whether or not, you know, this this latest news is going to come out as being an actual Bigfoot, but what would happen, do you think, if we did actually find one? I mean, is this something that we would put on the endangered species list almost right away? Is this something that would be, you know... Able to be brought out on display for the public, or, or would we just try and have to, you know, catch it, document it, release it?
4: Well, I mean, uh, there's going to be a lot of debate. If, the, if indeed this is a body of a Bigfoot, then there's going to be a lot of debate over this, how it should be handled, probably legally, uh, how the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service might have to deal with this type of thing, and there's going to be a lot, have to be a lot of scientific research, investigation, evaluation of this type of thing. And once again, if we do get one of these things. Again, it's, I think it's only a part of a much bigger phenomena that that's not going to completely give us all the answers because, again, there's other variations from all over the world of something similar. Mm-hmm. And I think we're dealing with possibly more than one type of thing here.
2: In my my opinion, is I, if I'd rather see them almost capture a, a live specimen and be able to test and, and do what they need to do with that instead of somebody finding a body, because what's going to happen is once that body is found and determined to be, you know, an unknown creature, a new creature, then I think the woods are going to be inundated with people with shotguns and, you know, trying to bag themselves one to hang on the wall.
4: Right. Well, I've always been uh, up to people not shooting at these things, try to gather other scientific data, but uh, out here in Pennsylvania I've been pretty much uh, against people running around with guns trying to bring these things down.
2: Well, especially if you're out in the woods trying to document them, you know, you don't you don't want to get shot by accident. That's correct. Safety orange, Dan. Safety orange. But uh, it seems like you know is is this becomes more and more of an area of interest. You know, we we see the ghost research groups pop up because you know there's a television show Ghost Hunters, so everybody wants to be the next Ghost Hunters and and. Then UFO hunters comes to television, and everybody's out there chasing after UFOs. So it seems like somebody's trying to get ahead of here and, and be the first Bigfoot hunter TV show. Do you think that more media exposure for it might actually hurt the field? It's one I of those. I think it all
4: depends on how the the media handles the subject. And uh, you know, again, with UFOs, we're seeing a lot more open mindedness. And of course, some of the TV shows on TV have been. Uh, looking into other cryptozoological subjects and they're beginning to take it much more serious so in that in that respect i think it does encourage people who see these things to be more willing to come forward and talk about it so i think it has a lot to do with how the media is going to cover this thing in the future
2: and overall as the country becomes more developed and there's less places for these creatures to hide if that's the case if they are hiding you know we're kind of flushing them out a little bit here and that that's just going to increase the number of sightings and that will increase the number of people that want to go out and document it.
0: All right. Well,
4: I can tell you, in this part of Pennsylvania, especially along the ridge area, a lot of the areas out here where I live and uh, where there have been many sightings, a lot of wooded areas, That these areas now have been developed. as more houses coming in, and so if these things were around here, they may well be moving on.
2: Now, Stan, I'm not going to ask you to comment on whether or not you think that this this Georgia case is a hoax, but if it does turn out to be a hoax, how much would that set back the field of research?
4: Well, you know, let me just say this. Uh, I really am not going to comment on it. One thing I learned a long time ago about investigating all kinds of cases is that you want to look into all aspects of the report, pros and cons, waste mm-hmm. all the information in until you can make a decision on it, and right now, I think we still need to wait to see more of information. What's going to come down the road? So I'm hopeful that there's truth in this claim, but at the same time, I'm very skeptical until I see irrefutable evidence that this was a real body of a Bigfoot. So I'll keep an open mind, and we see what the future will bring.
2: Well, no matter the outcome, I'll tell you the one positive I see from it is that, you know, when this announcement was made that they were going to have a press conference, there was plenty of press interest. Yeah, uh, It was something that was put on a lot of mainstream news sites and news broadcasts. So the fact that, you know, if you did find a specimen and, and say, you know, you happen to just capture one tonight when we get off the air with you, you know, there'll be that media that's willing to investigate it right away instead of waiting and saying, you know, we need to see a lot more before we're going to put that on the 6 o'clock news.
4: Yes, you know, would you fade it out a little bit at the end
2: there? I was just saying that, you know, the fact that, with the way the news media is now that they're so willing to jump on the story that actually benefits, I think, that it shows that there's a reason to keep looking because they are going to at least be willing to give you the platform, uh, if not immediate belief.
4: Oh, yeah, well, I think the reason is because the public really is looking for information on these subjects. They're fascinated by it. They're curious about it. They're more open-minded to these subjects today, and they want to get information, and they're looking for details.
2: Now, in at least in pennsylvania in the reports that you've you've encountered over the years i mean what out of all the reports that you've gotten would you put a percentage on how many that you think are really possibly you know a sighting of bigfoot
4: oh that's really tough like i said there's a lot of cases you can dismiss but we've had many many dozens of cases of very good detailed very close up cases when i tell you close up as hard as it is to believe i mean we have a few cases here where what appear to be very credible with us were within a few feet and I mean very very close and in some of these cases again they were daylight observations so that it's very hard to be able to misidentify what some of these people reported and again so many of these people waited for years to come forward a lot of them were very reluctant to talk about it and even today so many just like ufo witnesses so many of these bigfoot witnesses re- want to remain anonymous because of fear of being ridiculed and uh... It's just something we, we've had to deal with. But uh, there's there's a, quite a lot of very well-confirmed reports, especially in those cases 73 and 74. And there have been many, many sightings going on year after year, especially along the Chestnut Ridge out there in Derry Township, outside of Latrobe. We commonly receive reports of sightings out there almost every year. And uh, it, it's a very nice rural area, mountainous area, right along the base of the Chestnut Ridge. And there have been so many... Very detailed close-up sightings that, uh, it's just an amazing area. But again, I was a part of groups that we staked those areas out for many, many times over the years, used, uh, the best equipment available we had at that time. But once again, except for footprints and some other, you know, possible data, I never got to see a Bigfoot myself. I've never seen a UFO myself. But I'm convinced from after interviewing hundreds of people and seeing various types of evidence that these phenomena do exist.
2: Well, Stan, before we let you go, uh, we'd be remiss to not ask you about the, what information was released about the Kecksburg UFO uh, incident recently. Uh, just any comments on that?
4: Well, Leslie Kane, who's the uh, director of the CFI, she's the one that was a plaintiff in the lawsuit. She's the one that's receiving initially uh, documents from NASA. So mm-hmm. uh, They're still being looked at, and uh, so we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, if hopefully something might turn up uh, important to the case. So we'll still look at that. And if, I'd like to mention my website, if possible. Absolutely. Sure. People may want to take a look at some of the uh, research we've done. I would be at uh, StanGordonUFO.com.
2: And it's a great site. We highly recommend it. And you can find out lots of great information about all of Stan's research, especially the Kexbury case. And you still got the DVD up there for order as well?
4: Yes. that was uh, The DVD is available. That was my own documentary film that I produced called Kexbury the Untold Story, which is a 92-minute long documentary. Uh, in-studio production, which has a lot of historical information and has a lot more information of different details that have not been seen on television. And that can be ordered through the website, yes.
2: And the book, you said, is coming uh, at the end of the year?
4: Uh, We're hoping it'll be out probably early next year, we're hoping at this point.
2: All right, well, hopefully when it does come out, you'll come back on and talk about it with us.
4: We appreciate it very much.
2: Thank you very much, Dan.
4: Thank you. Have a great night. Good night.
2: That is Stan Gordon, and again, his website is stangordonufo.com. And, you know, Matt Moniz, we we talk about the idea of, uh, as I was trying to mention before, you know, we're seeing an increase in, you know, ghost hunters. We're seeing an increase in UFO hunters. Are we going to start to see more, you know, crypto hunters, people who are out there in the woods trying to document Bigfoot and other anomalous creatures that have been found, uh, reported? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yep, plain and simple, yeah. Is that um, because there's more focus put on it, or do you think that's more because... There's more uh, glory in it.
1: It's a combination of both. What it is is this is definitely going to precipitate into people stomping through the woods trying to find their own. or you're, you're also going to find that there's going to be several other people that are going to claim to find another body, and there's going to be several other hoaxes that are going to occur after this. I mean, and I'm not giving anybody ideas by saying this. This is something I'm sure that is going to happen. As it happens in the past.
2: And all I can just think back to is when we did the Dover Demon episode and, and yourself and John Horrigan were out trying to track down the Dover Demon. And, <laughs> you know, it's probably something that other people have done. But when you guys went out there, you know, and you encountered the police, you told them what you were doing, and they said, oh, carry on. Right. and We
1: because, did it the right way, yeah.
2: Exactly, because I think th- those who do it the right way are going to get recognized and going to get the you know, the ability to do it while those who were just out there in the woods monkeying around. Like the what pun. we saw
1: during that event. We watched the police we explained to them what we were doing, presented who we were and made note to them and gave them all the information they wanted. And they accepted us, looked us you know, a little curiously, but mm-hmm. you know, accepted what we were doing and moved on. They then we watched them literally go rounding up dozens of people. Afterwards, running around in the woods, kicking them out and sending them on their way.
2: See, now, you know, noted researchers like Stan and and Lauren Coleman and and so many of these other Bigfoot researchers who have done a great job over the years of, you know, working with law enforcement and and other academics and to let them know what they're doing. I I think that they're going to suffer as a result of this because there's going to be an influx of people that are out in the woods, and I think that that's going to kind of cast a negative light on Bigfoot research overall. But I'm hoping that that isn't the case.
1: You're going to get tons of people that are going to be arrested for trespassing on somebody else's property. Mm -hmm. There's going to be plenty of injuries happening because a lot of these novices running out into the woods thinking that they know what they're doing. It's very easy to get lost in the woods if you're not experienced.
2: Well, bring a GPS for sure. But if you do go out in the woods and you want to try and get close to Bigfoot, do us a favor. All right, Bring cameras. Bring video cameras. Bring whatever else. Don't bring guns. Because you're just going to end up either hurting yourself or somebody else or, you know, some other creature or even Bigfoot itself. Don't bring guns. You don't need them. That's my belief. Plus, if Bigfoot sees you with a gun, he's going to get pretty angry. All right, well, we'll be back after the news. We'll talk about our big announcement coming up. And we'll be joined by Jerry Pippen to talk about Paranormal El- paranormal Elvis. So we'll talk about some of those weird stories around the king of rock and roll on this the 31st anniversary was passing. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. number two of Spooky South Coast Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz who will not be here next week physically in the studio because he's going to be at the Beyond Reality event at the Mount Washington Hotel so, uh, but you will be here in spirit, pardon the pun uh, because uh, you'll be joining us uh, via, via satellite as they say, only via the internet but uh, it should sound like you're just in the next room if everything works according to plan or in this room, even. It should. So, but, uh, yeah, now you were mentioning uh, possibly having somebody sit in with you, um, kind of co-hosting with you on that end. Is that is that a definite, or?
1: He said he would love to. Um, talk in, oh, I was talking to Todd Sheets, and he wants to sit in.
2: Oh, great. So, yeah, hey, anybody that wants to. And, and by the way, Todd, if you're listening, you know, hang in there. I don't know. I'm sure you've gotten with, I'm saying that. Yeah. But, uh, no, but, I mean, hey, everybody Everybody deserves to have uh you know, a, a, a drama-free life. But now, so you're going to be up there for the big Beyond Reality event. Now, this is going to be huge. I mean, we're talking we're talking Jeff Belanger, Lauren Coleman, Freddie Silva. Who else? All the people from TAPS. Yep. Matt Moniz. Uh, is Tiffany going to, T- Tiffany's going to be there. Tiffany's Psychic going Tiffany. to be there. Yep. So it's just going to be huge. And uh, if you go to their website, uh, I'm pretty sure it'll tell you that it's already sold out. The uh, the event is already sold out, but that's not going to stop you from having a, an insider's perspective. As we'll have Matt Moniz broadcasting from there, alongside us, and you know we'll do our our usual thing, but we'll get some of the people that are there on on the uh, on the air as well. But before that, we're going to do something. Well, we might be a little crazy sometimes. We come up with ideas and we we try to help out our friends, and you know sometimes we might overshoot things a bit. Us? <laughs> i I'm a, I'm a little nervous about this, but. We're actually – now, for those of you who watch Ghost Hunters and you know Jason and Grant, then you're aware that they actually have a radio show as well, Beyond Reality Radio, which aired on our sister station in Providence, WPRO AM, and they're, um, they're not on right now. They're on summer hiatus because, you know, they, they just have busy lives and they need some time off. But they wanted to be able to produce an episode of Beyond Reality from the event. So we're going to help them out, and we're going to actually host it over our WBSM airwaves. So next Saturday night, beginning at 7 p.m., as long as I hit all the right buttons, you'll be able to listen to Beyond Reality right here on WBSM, uh, streaming online at wbsm.com and spookysouthcoast.com. So if you want to be able to, to listen to Jason and Grant's first show in a couple of months and hear everything that's going on at the Mount Washington event, then tune in right here at 7 o'clock. And they're going to basically be on from 7 to 10 right up into Spooky South Coast. So that gives you five hours of paranormal Talk next Saturday night, and it'll all be podcasts as well. You know, uh, Beyond Reality is going to put their podcast right where you usually find it on planetparanormal.com, and uh, we'll have our show podcast as well. But you definitely got to tune into this live. It, this is going to be groundbreaking, I think, because uh, I don't think WBSM would ever let us do five hours of Paranormal Talk unless I said, you know, Jason and Grant want to come on and be on the airwaves. That worked out pretty well for them, I think. Yeah, (laughs) they're like, yeah. You mean people that actually know something about the paranormal? No offense, Matt Moniz, but (laughs) the station doesn't know that you're here. We we can't tell them that. No, I I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty fun, and uh, at the very least, you know, it's it's an episode of Beyond Reality. You haven't heard it in months, so now's your chance, and uh, let everybody know what you think too right to the station and say, wow, that was really great. When Beyond Reality comes back, I think WBSM should carry them and, and have them lead into Spooky South Coast every Saturday night. i
1: would be cool, that.
2: Now you know that we can't drop the ball next week. It's kind of opposite game for us. Because I hosted Beyond Reality once. I sat in and filled in. And I took a call from Australia. I took a call from <laughs> Egypt. I mean, there are people listening to the show live all over the world. And if we get a fraction of their audience carrying over to, you know, the spooky empire that we've already built... This is going to be the biggest paranormal Saturday night in history, radio history anyway. (laughs) All right. Well, that's that. Now it's time to ask you for money. This is the portion of the show where we tell you things that you can have to pay to go to. And we've got one more for you. Actually, if, yeah, if you've been following the show the last few weeks, we've been talking about the events that we've been doing at Open Doors. Matt, great presentation last night, by the way. I'm
1: glad you enjoyed it.
2: And uh, I think that you really hit home with the audience, too. I mean, they seem, you know, it only took a few minutes of you talking for them to really just open up with their questions and to share their experiences. and So I think that, you know, you kind of you hit the nail right on the head with it. I just try to,
1: you know, give a view of... Uh, the subject that maybe most people weren't aware of, and I put my own like uh, spin on it.
2: And you'll be back uh, at Open Doors next month with another presentation, too. Yep. And uh, I've been teaching the Introduction to the Paranormal classes. Well, the last class uh, of that course is an investigation at an undisclosed location in Braintree. It's a place that you can't get into if you're just a regular paranormal investigator they pulled some strings at opened doors, and, and they they made it possible for us to go in and investigate. But nobody else will ever be allowed to investigate there afterwards. So it's kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get into a place that supposedly has a lot of activity going on there. Well, we've decided that we're the class is small, so we have some room. So we're going to open up some spots in the investigation for only fifty dollars, with you know the the profits going uh, to the Divana Center for uh, abuse victims. $50 you can join us and I think There's only 17 spots available So uh, you want to sign up Go to opendoors7.com That's opendoors7.com And you can find all the information There or shoot me an email uh, Tim at spookysouthcoast.com Or just get a hold of us on myspace.com Slash spookysouthcoast However you can get a hold of us and we'll make sure that you can get signed up For that event And if that's not weird enough for you We've got something else
4: Well bad news. Well I got a great show for you, they put some wonderful wee. I feel, I feel so
2: very weird. (laughs) Do we can weird? So I think we're watching history as it happens. I think uh, Michael Phelps just became the, the most gold medal winners of all time in the Olympics. What was it that I said before? Get paid to play a sport and then I'll be impressed? Yeah. No, no, seriously, that's a great accomplishment.
3: It's only because I didn't uh, make the qualifying. I didn't fill out the paperwork and time. For swimming?
2: Yeah. I've never seen you swim once. Is that because you're so good? Yeah. Like you get in, swim, get back out and get dressed again? I don't even so realize. Quick. Well... I don't know. You're not exactly built like Michael Phelps, so I don't know if you could have, if you could hang.
1: <laughs> I don't think any of us are.
2: No, he's like a merman. That would be weird. Now that'd be something to talk about if you, Michael Phelps, merman. It's like Kevin Costner,
3: in that movie that nobody saw.
2: I saw it. I fell asleep. <laughs> every single time I've tried to watch it. All right. Well, our first story comes from routers. Mexican archaeologists have discovered a maze of stone temples and underground caves. Some submerged in water, which Kevin Costner and Michael Phelps could get to. And they contain human bones, which ancient Mayans believed was a portal where dead souls entered the underworld. Clad in scuba gear and edging through narrow tunnels, researchers discovered the stone ruins of 11 sacred temples and what could be the remains of human sacrifices at the site in the Yucatan Peninsula. Archaeologists say Mayans believe the underground complex of water-filled caves leading into dry chambers, including an underground road stretching some 330 feet, was the mythical was the path to the mythical underworld known as Zabalba. according to an ancient Mayan scripture? The Popol Vuh. The route was filled with obstacles, including rivers filled with scorpions, blood and pus, and houses shrouded in darkness or swarming with shrieking bats. Guillermo Díendo, one of the lead investigators at the site, said on Thursday, "The souls of the dead followed a mythical dog who could see at night." Díendo said, "Excavations over the past five months in the Yucatan caves." revealed stone carvings and pottery left for the dead. They believe that this place was the entrance to Zabalba. that's why we have the offerings there, Deanda said. The Mayans built soaring pyramids and elaborate palaces in Central America and Southern Mexico before mysteriously abandoning their cities around 900 AD. They described the torturous journey to Zabulba in the Vuh, sacred text, originally written in hieroglyphic script on long scrolls and later transcribed by Spanish conquerors. It is very likely this area was protected as a sacred depository for the dead or for the passage of their souls, said Deanda, whose team has found ceramic offerings along with bones in some temples. Different Mayan groups who inhabited southern Mexico and northern Guatemala and Belize had their own entrances to the underworld, which archaeologists have discovered at other sites, almost always in cave systems buried deep in the jungle. At the Yucatan site, they found one 1,900-year-old ceramic vase, but most of the artifacts date back from 700 A.D., to eight fifty, A.D. So, there you have it. The, another entrance to the underworld has been found.
1: Excellent.
2: Now, how long until uh, we can send Michael Phelps into there now? Because I'm tired of this story, really. Already. Well, just send Brendan Fraser. There you go. He's used to that kind of thing. Three times now he's had to fight mummies. Now they're sticking him in the middle of the earth. What's going on? <laughs> and in three D. Well, that part's cool. I'm going to watch Hannah Montana in 3-D just because it's oh. 3-D. That sounded dirty. All right, Matt Kosser, what do you have for us? Right.
3: From uh, AP in Seattle. City officials have finally gotten rid of five high-tech self-cleaning toilets that cost that cost Seattle $5 million but sold online for just $12,549. The city installed the modernistic standalone toilets four years ago, hoping that they would provide tourists and homeless a place to do their business while downtown. But the automated toilets became better known for drug use and prostitution than for a relief. Neighbors and, and analysts say that they were lost, less cost-efficient than regular public bathrooms. The city council voted to sell them on eBay last week. Despite more than 9,000 combined page views and only 148 bids were cast, One of the five toilets, which currently graces the downtown waterfront, sold for $4,899, but the average sale was just over $2,510. A a Rochester, Washington business race car supply won all five auctions, which ended on Thursday. Butch Bain, the owner, said he plans to use two of of the units at the South South Sound Speedway and sell the other three. It'll probably be be good to have for a couple around for spares, he said. We get pretty busy at the track sometimes. Pat Miller, the city surplus manager, said the city will recover just over $2,080 per toilet after a bit of due. The company that listed the sold units online takes a 17% cut. The money will go back into the city's utility fund. Hmm. So I guess if you wanted them, you're out of
2: luck. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, from what I understand, uh, while they were removing these toilets, they were a little bit worried about like thieves coming in and pulling them apart. But George Michael offered to hang out in the, <laughs> in the restroom and make sure that just no, to guard them overnight. Yeah, just to make sure nothing <laughs> funny went on. Uh, but you know who I'm sounds surprised. Sounds
3: like glorious Joe. You know who?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole different story. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know who I'm surprised didn't buy one of these toilets is our friend Ernie Bach. Because he's got like a $14,000 toilet in his uh, luxury box at Gillette Stadium, yeah. So apparently it's like gold-plated and everything. I don't know if it's self-cleaning. I'm sure it is, but it's like gold-plated and everything. So sounds like uh, one costly crapper. (laughs) Speaking of costly crappers, what do you have for us, (laughs) (laughs) Matt Moniz?
1: (laughs) I got something that comes from Scientific American.
2: Oh, good. Good. Scientific it up for us now. Okay. After after a poop joke. (laughs)
1: Researchers have taken the next step onto the road of constructing a cloak of invisibility or a powerful superlens capable of capturing fine details and undetectable to current lenses. A group from the University of California, Berkeley, this week is publishing the first demonstration of the materials capable of bending visible or near-visible light the wrong way in three dimensions. Both are examples of metamaterials, especially specially designed structures that cause light to do things it normally wouldn't. In this case, bending light backwards, an effect called negative infraction. Researchers have built materials capable of negatively refracting microwaves, but despite some success bending visible light in two dimensions, they've had a harder time making three-dimension versions. In a study to be published in the magazine Nature, the Berkeley Group bent red light using a fishnet-shaped stack of 21 layers of silver and magnesium fluoride, each a few tenths of nanometers thick. The group will also report in the magazine's science that it bent near near-infrared light using a thinner sheet of aluminum oxide containing silver nanowires. The researchers believe the second material ought to work on the red light as well. Both devices absorb relatively little of the incoming light, a problem in earlier metamaterials groups say. For invisibility, researchers need their metamaterials to have an index less than the index of air. This makes it possible to channel light around a region like air and around an airplane wing. No light inside means there is no reflection to reveal the contents of the space, hence invisibility. In 2006, a group at Duke University demonstrated partial cloaking in two dimensions with a pizza-sized disc of copper rings. Look for researchers to try that soon with visible light.
2: Well, if they ever do make a a cloak of invisibility and it goes on sale, it'll definitely, you know, it'll be a must-have around women's locker rooms everywhere.
3: (laughs) You don't have to roll a 20-sided die to use it, do you? Uh, <laughs> i
2: cloak of invisibility on you. You can't see me. You know what's funny is, uh, while researching that story online, every single story that I found except for the one in Scientific American made reference to Harry Potter. Apparently Harry Potter has some cloak of invisibility. I don't know. Apparently there's some Star Trek invisibility. Well, I was
1: going to say, why didn't they just hire a couple of Romulans?
2: Nerd. Nerd alert. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. There's the there's the Week in <laughs> Weird for this week. Ah, that's over with. If you have a story you'd like to submit for the Week in Weird, just go online to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the forum, go to the Week in Weird thread, drop the story in there, and if we read it on the air, we'll give you a bumper sticker. It's a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker, right? Not a, yes. n- Not an eye break for... tales. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be right back with more. We're going to talk with Jerry Pippen host of the Jerry Pippen show about Elvis and his paranormal connections. So we'll be right back with more here on spooky South coast.
1: Spooky South Coast is back. All right, man, let's go. Elvis isn't dead. Elvis isn't dead. Elvis isn't dead. Because I heard him on the radio. Elvis isn't dead. Elvis
2: isn't dead. Elvis isn't dead. coming back to me. I know Elvis isn't dead. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Is Elvis dead? Maybe, maybe not. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz and the silent assassin Matt Costa. And, you know, come on, let's get real. Elvis is no longer with us, and that's a shame. It was on this date that back in 1977 that we lost the king of rock and roll. He passed away at his home in Memphis, Tennessee at the age of 42 of an apparent heart attack brought on by long-term drug abuse. He was initially laid to rest at a local cemetery, but concerns that overzealous fans might attempt to steal the the bodies of Presley and his mother were exhumed and relocated to the meditation garden at Graceland. And uh, we are going to be talking with Jerry Pippen, host of The Jerry Pippen Show, about Elvis and some of these paranormal connections. But, you know, Jerry, it's, it's a little bit strange that when you look at some of the other people who have died on this day and their connections to the paranormal world. I mean, in 1938, blues, Robert, blues musician Robert Johnson died of what is believed to be strychnine poisoning at the young age of 27. And in uh, 1956, Bella Lugosi passed away as well. So it seems like it's already an ominous date.
0: <laughs> you got a good point. How are you? <laughs>
2: Great, how are you doing? Good, good.
0: show sounds good, and uh, yes, 31 years ago, Elvis uh, died there in Graceland, and uh, if you stop and think about it, just the idea of dying in that mansion, uh, that alone should uh, bring up a few ghost stories.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially somebody like Elvis, who had been known to be kind of close to to that side of things uh, his whole life.
0: a lot of interesting things about Elvis, and I'm sure we'll get into them here during this show. Uh, We have an Elvis section on our website at cherrypippin.com. In fact, uh, we have uh, the Elvis Presley story, a rare uh, recording, an old syndicated show back in the 70s, and uh, available as a collector's item. So we do a lot of Elvis, even though our main thing is paranormal, just like you and UFOs. And I really had not thought about Elvis in the paranormal world until, oh, uh, well, I'd say the last 10 years. I picked up People magazine one day and read a story in there from a guard at Graceland. You know, Elvis is buried there. He has his tomb there. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that uh, between 2 and 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, occasionally UFOs show up over the tomb. Really? And that was in People magazine some years back. So I may- mean, there's been lots of stories about things happening in Graceland, which we'll get into, I'm, I'm sure.
2: Do you think that uh, these stories that we hear are true, that maybe Elvis had E.T. connections uh, in his lifetime, that he had spoken with aliens or was at least uh, a researcher of UFOs?
0: I get some interesting things to tell you about um, uh, uh, Elvis and when he was born. A lot of people don't know about this you may know about it since you're in the paranormal business but uh, he was born in tupelo Minnesota, mississippi in uh, 1935 and it was very cold and there are a couple of books out there uh about elvis and, and uh, all of this and evidently according to some of these books and some people who say they were there at the time elvis was born uh, that uh, he had some strange things happen there. Uh, you know, he was he was a twin. He was, he was a stillborn brother, Jesse Garon, uh, was born dead, and the uh, midwife uh, was um, you know uh, telling Vernon and the rest of the people that were around that uh, the first baby was born, and Vernon uh, Presley, who was the father of Elvis, was very torn up. But then, all of a sudden, the midwife yelled and said, wait, wait, there's another child here. And um, and he, Elvis came out, and uh, Vernon was so excited about it, he ran out into the yard. And they were very religious, as you may know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vernon was praising the Lord, the good God above, for the life of the second child. And more than one witness there says that there was all of a sudden a ray of blue light shining on the shack where Elvis was born that night in Tupelo.
2: Ah. And
0: uh, Elvis was supposed to uh, have a sacred birthmark, which I'll get into in a moment. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. But uh, the fact is this blue light came out of nowhere. According to Vernon, later on he talked about it and also the midwife, and also um, another person was there, Wanda Hill, who uh, said that uh, Elvis at one time showed her the birthmark when he was a young kid. And it was, uh, we'll get to that birthmark in a minute, and the semblance of that and why it's important. But first of all, you know, he was born in January. It's very cold in Mississippi, and it was an unusual night uh, the Native Americans in that area referred to the moon that night as a crying moon. Now, what that meant is the lower half of the moon is it was darkened and there was light at the top, and it looked like it was rays of uh, light coming down, looked like tears. And there are reports that uh, inside the house, when this blue light came out and Burnham was outside, that inside the house it shook. Shook so hard that the medicine bottles, uh, laying on the table where they were, um, the midwife was giving birth to uh, Elvis's mother, helping her give birth, uh, shook violently. And uh, it was not a blue light inside the house; it was purple, kind of a violet color. And in fact, one time Elvis, according to a couple of people who knew him and uh, i've known uh, quite a few musicians who have worked with elvis and uh, a guy by the name of chuck bunning who i grew up with was a disc jockey and uh, he uh, he worked on the road as an advance man for some time and uh, did some early elvis concerts and uh, struck up a friendship with some of the people around elvis And uh, Chuck told me one time that Elvis literally said in uh, in the room where they were at Graceland about 3 o'clock in the morning, he says, you know, I'm not from here. I'm from up there, the blue star. Wow. And uh, evidently he was pointing uh, towards Cyrus, and that's what a lot of people seem to think, the star Cyrus. So as you can see, uh, (laughs) a lot of people don't know about that, and didn't come out really till after he was dead, naturally. Mm -hmm. But um, makes a good story, don't you think?
2: Well, it also explains why there could be so many Elvis sightings today. I mean, besides just, you know, grief-stricken fans hoping that he's still alive. You know, maybe if he was from up there. You know, the interesting
0: thing about those Elvis sightings is that they seem to see Elvis uh, the way he was. You know, uh, so you may be right. Maybe Elvis is a ghost still walking around.
2: I mean, you know, occasionally you see people that say, well, I saw this, you know, this fat, greasy old guy with a pompadour, but that's just an Elvis fan. We know that. Yeah. So many of them have adopted the the look and the style of Elvis, you know, in, in tribute to him that, you know.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, since he's passed away, you know, I mean, they, he did develop almost a religious following. They have these things going on in August week uh, in in Memphis, like this week, and uh, usually there's candlelight vigils and people around. It's almost religious in many ways. In fact, there was a report that uh, back in 1977, a man uh, started standing out by the gates there, keeping watch, and they asked him why he kept coming back for the first three days, and he said that he thought that Elvis would be back on the third day.
2: No.
0: Nah. So, I mean, there, and, and there was a the church in uh, Colorado, I think in Denver at one time. there was the first church of Elvis, believe it or not. They would play Elvis religious music and had a shrine to Elvis, and you'd go in there and kneel and uh, leave a few coins.
2: Well, I mean, and, and he certainly had a... a <laughs> huge catalog of religious music so they could certainly keep that going and you know to some people he was more than just the king he was the king of kings so
0: you know that's interesting that you would say that uh, we we have quite an Elvis section at jurypippin.com we didn't start out that way uh we were an oldies disc jockey uh,
2: guy uh
0: on our last uh, when we first went on the internet we were working on an oldies radio station and so we did uh, talk at night a couple of hours and played Elvis music before that and uh, so on the website we started putting Elvis things up and little tidbits about Elvis and uh, it's amazing we, we have uh, hundreds of thousands of people visit that uh, portion of our site at JerryPippin.com every year
2: and it'll only keep growing as newer, newer fans discover Elvis's music and, and start to realize just what an awesome talent he really was
0: yeah you know I uh, I, I I lived in Las Vegas and worked in Las Vegas. Did late night radio, uh, just like you're doing, uh, there on the uh, station KVG's is fifty thousand watt AM station. And uh, this was back eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety one, ninety two, ninety. And uh, in that period of time, we uh, of course Elvis, you know, became quite famous in Las Vegas, and uh, we got to meet a lot of people who worked with Elvis and we uh, were around that showroom there at the Hilton. And there, you'd be surprised how many people uh, uh, approach Elvis almost spiritually, almost like a, like it is a paranormal experience. I mean, they go into that uh, the stage area, especially before they remodeled it in uh, recent years, but back in those days, right after I went to Las Vegas, uh, that showroom still had the mystique of the king, and people would swear they would... Uh, there things going on in the dressing rooms and things like that.
2: Yeah, it's definitely one of the places where his ghost has, has been reported, as well as Graceland and, and in Tupelo as well.
0: Well, the, the hotel never really pushed that idea very much, simply because they thought it would be bad for business, uh, be hauntings, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, they probably missed a bet there. They probably could have had a lot of people uh, book uh, rooms right there.
2: So, So what you're saying, Jerry, is that Elvis maybe hasn't left the building.
0: Do want
2: You're saying maybe Elvis hasn't left the building.
0: Yeah, maybe he hasn't. <laughs>
2: now, I, I, I want to hear about this birthmark, because this sounds really interesting.
0: You want to hear uh, more about... Uh...
2: The, the birthmark you were mentioning.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, and I'll get to that here in just a minute, sure. uh, it's hard to believe he's been dead 31 years, and people still you know, approach uh, Elvis with a certain mystique certain idea uh, you know that he yeah, I guess he's still alive for a lot of people and uh, this idea that maybe he was the uh, son of a, 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 an abductee in other words that his mother had, had an abduction experience is fascinating uh, whether you believe in that sort of thing or not I must tell you in four decades of doing UFO shows now uh I, I put a lot of weight into these abduction stories. Uh, at first, they were interesting, and then uh, the numbers began to get pretty large. And so, I mean, I don't think all these people could be creative writers, you know? Yeah. And well, uh, The real Elvis Presley, uh, I guess, would be a mysterious soul. I mean, He's could... heavily into the occult, but a lot of people didn't realize that. You know, uh, he uh, had quite a collection of books there in Graceland on religious groups, and uh, a lot of it uh, was uh, concerning things like the shroud, the scientific search for the face of Jesus. And uh, when he died from a heart attack there on the toilet, the book's still in his hand, according to the stories I've heard. Now, I don't know, maybe you've heard differently, but I've heard that... Uh, he had that book, the shroud, there in the
2: bathroom with him. Well, it's interesting because I I read a story online where uh, apparently he was driving cross country in 1964, uh, and he supposedly saw the the face of Stalin, Joseph Stalin, in the in the cro- in the clouds, and he actually got up and he and he went out and he stared at it and he yelled up to the heavens, you know, why are you showing me Stalin? And then it changed, the face changed, and and. And Elvis said it was the face of God that he saw the face of, and then that he saw the face of Jesus in these clouds.
0: You know, uh, you, you're too young to know that, but back in the 50s, and I was very young at the time, don't misunderstand me, mm-hmm. but I was old enough to be in, uh, I guess, junior high school, there was a spate of people in 53 and 54 seeing in the face of Jesus in clouds. Things like that. And I've heard that story about Elvis saying that as well. And as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this fellow who I, I know who worked uh, in the periphery around the Elvis concerts, uh, he, he's heard Elvis say that he thought he was, uh, you know, divine from, from somewhere else.
2: It definitely seems. Like I, I
0: I understand that he had over 250 books in his library there in Graceland on the occult, so he was interested.
2: That's that's quite the library. That's, you know, and you know how easily it is to build up a library. You know, doing a show about the paranormal, but when you're Elvis Presley, you know, you, people kind of must look at you funny when you say, "Hey, you know, give me a book on this."
0: Yeah, you're right. Well, Everything that he did, of course, being a superstar, people paid a lot of attention to. And I don't know, I haven't really heard many stories about Colonel Tom Parker on whether or not, uh, you know, his manager mm-hmm. was uh, into the occult. I've heard some pretty tacky stories about
2: uh, <laughs> We've all heard some, some pretty nasty stuff about
0: colonel. <laughs> so, so who knows? But uh, that may be one of the reasons maybe they kept Elvis out of sight. Maybe they didn't want him talking about things about that. Especially, you know, Elvis had that... First of all, he was a rock and roll, a simple kid there doing all those gyrations for the teenagers. Then later on, they remade him, and uh, he was a, a pop music star and did a lot of gospel music. And they pushed his uh, religion heavily, and maybe this uh, paranormal belief he had wouldn't fit into his his overall idea.
2: Oh, yeah, especially, yeah. And that time, you know, it wasn't really discussed as openly as, as we do now.
0: yeah. Anyway, this, this, uh, this birthmark, I want to get back to that. Sure. You seem to think that that had some kind of semblance, and other people have, too, later. It was a diamond-shaped uh, pigmentation changed on his thigh. In other words, uh, the, I have a birthmark on my stomach similar to that. But it's, uh, his was a diamond near his top of his thigh. And a lot of people put a lot of things into that, meaning that that was, uh, you know, maybe some sort of sign that he had been here before. Maybe he reincarnated, or maybe the, the UFO people, the ETs, had beamed him down, or whatever. And that story about his birth certainly backs that up.
2: It's it's interesting, though, that if that, if that is the case, the fact that, you know, he did have the twin brother, Jesse, who who didn't survive childbirth, that, you know, were they both supposed to be, you know, these, these star children, so to speak? Or, or was it kind of just a matter of, you know, one was the human child and one was this other child?
0: Well, it's just strange you would mention that. That's what I was thinking. Like a good story, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Well, why don't jesse, we, jesse and i don't god bless his soul he never got got here the, the other twin but what if he had been the evil one
2: well didn't didn't wow well, that's true too <laughs> yeah. didn't uh, didn't elvis speak to jesse quite a bit didn't he go to the grave and often often speak with jesse in his younger days
0: i've read that I you know i i think i think i think that's uh, probably true
2: mm-hmm. uh i
0: mean i've read it in many places
2: I also heard that he often conferred uh, with his mother after her passing as well.
0: Yeah, this part about his mother, he had a very special relationship with his mother anyway, which is pretty normal for boys from the South, sons of the South back in those days especially. But, um, you know, maybe uh, he, maybe he, uh, he and his mother talked about this. Who knows? What they have talked about over the years, I mean, we've heard lots of different things well, about that... all of this. And uh, so maybe, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing about uh, UFO and alien abductions, of course, is the idea that they're doing something, uh, seeding the world, of hybrids. Uh, women uh, tell stories all the time about uh, taking the baby, implanting it, and then coming back and taking it. And seeing it in jars on ships and et cetera, et cetera. So maybe, maybe, um, maybe there's something there. Maybe Elvis and his mother talked about it. Nobody talked about abductions back in the, you know, in that time. And my, at least I didn't know anything about it. I guess I was pretty innocent.
2: Well, you know, if Elvis was extraterrestrial in nature, then that might somehow explain why his daughter Lisa Marie married Michael Jackson.
0: I don't, I don't know uh, uh, even how Elvis fans will take to our conversation here. Some of them, you know, will will think it's interesting, and there's certainly been a lot of books. Uh, there's a lady down in Atlanta, Georgia, Gail Gorgio, who uh, uh, wrote books about uh, Elvis being alive somewhere. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of Elvis sightings and things like that, so... At this point, Elvis would be definitely a senior citizen. Mm -hmm. 1935, and this is 2008,
2: had that up really fast. So, you know, he
0: probably wouldn't be shake, rattling, and rolling much.
2: Well, if he did, it would just be palsy. (laughs) Well, why don't we take our uh, last break, Jerry, and if some of these uh, Elvis fans do want to call in and and let us know what they think, they can give us a call at 508-996-0500. Five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred. We'll be right back with Jerry Pippin talking more about Paranormal Elvis, right here on Spooky South Coast.
1: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. I saw the ghost of Elvis on Union Avenue. Followed him
0: up. To the gates of Graceland. and I watched him walk right through I him
2: see him. The ghost of Elvis walking right through Graceland. We're talking about Elvis and his paranormal connections with our guest Jerry Pippin. You know him from the Jerry Pippin show, it can be accessed at jerrypippin.com, P-I-P-P-I-N.com. And that's hey, Jerry Thank you
0: very much for the plug.
2: Well, you know, we kind of, I want to say, Jerry, earlier in the show when we were talking about some of these these Bigfoot researchers, and I, I kind of took a shot at some internet radio shows, but I, I want you to know that I was in no way implying that toward the Jerry Pippin show, which is, you know, up there in the upper echelon of, of internet talk shows. I mean, just what you've been able to do with the internet is an inspiration to us and, and what we do and what so many shows that are actually trying to use that medium uh, to keep talk radio alive.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, we uh, are doing everything on the internet only now. We did broadcast for a long time and, and the internet like you do and uh, the station I you know all this came about by you know in radio, you're only as good as your last show and only as good as the owner that day.
2: In that case, we're screwed because you didn't hear last week's show. <laughs>
0: And uh, I, when I left Las Vegas and came back here uh, to my little town in Muskogee, Oklahoma, where I live, I went back to the radio station that I worked at originally in high school. And I worked there a couple of times in between stints in Las Vegas and Los Angeles and, you know, you know radio, the Vagabond Kings. But anyway, um, the Internet, they were streaming. And when they uh, sold their station and they went all sports in 2003, uh, we uh, experimented with a couple other uh, satellite networks and did a few other things. But by 2005, the technology was developing so well that we noticed our audience on the Internet was rivaling what we were getting el- elsewhere. And so uh, we've been concentrating on the Internet only now and on the on-demand portion of broadcasting, you know. Uh, All my life I've met deadlines up early in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning or 5 to get on the air, Mm -hmm. or late night or whatever. And uh, I've often thought about, you know, a lot of people here listening to this late night show, I'd like to hear it in the morning. (laughs) And the Internet's made that possible. And so we've capitalized on that with the podcast and all of that. And we also do a Windows Media download as well, as well as the MP3. Thanks to Microsoft and the Vista, you know, you've got to stay on top of everything. So we do a Windows uh, as well on, uh, format. But the point I'm bringing up here is that the Internet really is going very strong now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we feel very blessed our audience,
2: and it's worldwide. I mean, it is. It's so much. You can reach a worldwide audience, as you said. You can reach people when they want to listen. You no longer have to make them work around your schedule. It's It makes the show more accessible. And in yeah, that and way, I noticed your radio
0: station there. Uh, it, you, you, you've got a nice podcast section, mm-hmm. and uh, it, that's a good station. You guys are
2: well-rounded. Well, we make sure, too, that when we started doing the show, we said, you know, Saturday nights at 10 o'clock, most people are going to be out and doing things, and, you know, they might catch little bits and pieces of the show on the radio, so we've got to make sure we give them the opportunity to catch what they missed.
0: Well, and uh, you're doing well. You're, you're you're on several podcast sites, and, mm-hmm. and I guess you can go over to uh, iTunes and get you too. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, you're on the cutting edge there, too, so I take that as a compliment, what you said.
2: Uh, but, of course, you know, we, we just kind of lucked into all this. We didn't really know what we were doing. We have kind of just figured it out along the way.
0: Well, that's kind of the way things work, you know. <laughs> that's, how,
2: that's how it works best, because then you appreciate it more.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do a lot of conspiracy shows, but most conspiracies are just uh, kind of following the level of gravity, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing leads to another. Well,
2: what's, what's coming up on The Jerry Pippen Show? What are some of the shows that you have planned?
0: yeah well, we got all kinds of uh, we, we just came back from Roswell, New Mexico, where we uh, did nonstop taping for about uh, four or five days. We have 20 uh, shows from this year available now, 20 hours, and uh, we still have five or six we're going to be putting up. I'm going up uh, to um, Wisconsin uh a place called Burlington. I've never been there, but they have a vortex conference, uh, Halloween which uh, I'm going to do, uh, most of it's about uh, the paranormal, but I'm going to do a presentation on uh, 45 years of UFO shows I've covered and the most interesting things that are happening in the UFO world. And uh, we'll do a nice little PowerPoint thing. We're shooting a video. You know, you're talking about trying to stay on top of everything, and the video demand is becoming really big now, but technology, the way it is... So we're doing a little bit of video occasionally too. We're a radio show. I'm an old radio guy, but uh, you got to stay up with the media. You know what I mean?
2: Absolutely. But at least you know you're working in formats where you can you can set the agenda. You can set what you're going to talk about. You don't have to answer to anybody else except for the listeners, and that's that's the way it should be.
0: That's right. Um, I've I've been you uh, know I've been through that deal when. Uh, they call you in the office the next morning and say, "Jerry, you don't really want to do that kind of show again, do you?"
2: <laughs> See, we're lucky. The station management doesn't listen here. They—they're already in bed by this time at night because they all get up early in the morning. So, uh, well,
0: I—I've I, had some good station managers over the years. So, I understand. I've been in that side. I've been in that chair too. You know, uh, they've got they're You got to make some money, and you got to sell your advertising, and. Uh, Sometimes they're a little oversensitive when somebody says, "Well, I can't stand that guy," uh, but uh, he might not. But maybe nine others love him. Exactly. You know. You know. So it's it's a. Uh, I've been an independent broadcaster, and my own boss for some time. In fact, even when I was at KBIX, I packaged the show there uh, when I came back from Vegas. In fact, I guess I've been my own boss since the. Oh, eighty eight, eighty nine, 89, when I was a KBEG if I guess my show and uh then with the independent broadcasters network and so I'm, I'm spoiled. I don't know if I can work for somebody now.
2: Well we we thank you for blazing the trail. We're just about out of time, but we thank you for blazing that trail and, and setting it up and, and letting people know that the internet well, is. Well earlier earlier message.
0: in the show you had Stan Gordon on. Yes. He's a good friend of ours. Had him on many times. Met him a couple of times in person. Uh, Bigfoot's something. Uh, I I don't. I guess this guy's done that before.
2: Yeah, Biscardi has. Yeah, he was involved with the hoax. Uh, I believe in '05. Yeah, you
0: guys kind of nailed it right off the bat. I think.
2: Yeah. Well, we don't we don't pull any punches here.
0: Yeah, I uh, I stayed away from that story because I I just thought something smelled. Well, um, even though I'd love to do a Bigfoot story we do one occasionally we did a uh, you know we do all kinds of stories
2: well and that's the great thing about the internet is you can pretty much put stories of whatever you want out there and you don't have to you know worry about what people are going to say you you can give the news to people that you think they need to hear
0: well we try and we work really hard at jerrypeppin.com and i appreciate you spelling it for everybody because on the Internet, you got to get it right, J-E-R-R-Y-P-I-P-P-I-N, all one word.
2: You know what, though? If you put it into Google and you get it wrong, though, they'll tell you the right way to spell it, too. <laughs> all right. <laughs> thank you right. so much, Jerry, for joining us tonight. We hope we can talk to you again sometime in the future. We'll get you on for a full show.
0: Well, fine. That's great. I appreciate you uh, inviting
2: me. Thanks, Jerry. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.
0: Okay.
2: Bye-bye. That is the legend, Jerry Pippin, com. Jerry with a J dot com And we'll link it up at SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Definitely make sure you check it out. It's, you know, it, it, it's the way to go. It's, it's, like you said, you can listen to it whenever you want, however you want, and you can get that information just as you can with Spooky South Coast and many of the other great paranormal shows out there. Now next week, huge night, five hours of paranormal talk. We're going to have Beyond Reality Radio with Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson on these airwaves on WBSM. WBSM.com and SpookySouthCoast.com, followed by our show uh, and our regular time slot. It's going to be huge. Make sure you check it out. So until then, from Matt Moniz, from Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular.
0: Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy,
1: and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although... In many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow,
0: tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.